Coming up, is there a world where another sport can rub off some good vibes onto the New York football giants? Potentially. Is Darius Slayton worthy of sticking around on the New York football giants? How critical is Daniel Bellinger to this team? And is Taylor Heineke just flat out the best, not really starting quarterback in the NFL? We break it all down next. Ah, yes, friends. It is OGP, the one giant podcast where you know we are your hosts. Over here, Adam Armbrick breaking down the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast. Yonder there is Andy Makowitz. And what is he? Well, he's healthy, he's wealthy, he's wise, and he's a seasoned generational ticket holder for the New York Football Giants. And he's also the leader of this brigade, rundown professional. Take it away, Andy. I, I mean, we have to start with the other football that is traditionally played across the pond. If anyone else is a USA soccer fan or just a Patriot or American in, in general, you had to be excited about what you saw yesterday. The U S men's national team had to get a victory against Iran. They went out. Christian Pulisic basically put his body and his pelvic contusion on the line to be able to score the goal. Adam, there's very few sports. I will say even a giants regular season game doesn't do it for do, do you know, doesn't, make me stand in front of the TV pacing back and forth for the last 25, 30 minutes screaming at the TV, the way that I do for world cup soccer matches. It was incredible. I don't know how you don't get up for this kind of stuff. Like Andy played soccer as did I growing up, Andy played it all the way into college at Syracuse. So obviously if, if you played the sport, then I think it just lends itself to wanting to watch it and wanting to support it. But the world cup, like you said it, man, I, I watched it with uh, my co-host on the Nets podcast, Doug Norrie. We were out at the bar in a back room by ourselves. Nobody else was in that room. Other people watching the game out in the main bar. And like you man, like literally gripping chairs and like getting ready to slam them down in celebration, letting my hand off, standing up, sweatshirt on, sweatshirt off, hat on, hat off, pants on, left shoe on head. Like all the things that you do to try to inspire a win out of a team, man, that is the most intense format of sports that you ever, I, I don't know how you can't want to be a part of it. Like well, literally, it's almost too much for me to try to describe it. And and we're gonna find out very quickly what the Venn diagram is of OGP listeners and and, and soccer yeah. fans. But let us know in the it's, chat. <laughs> it's what it's one of those things, Adam. Where like because you know a lot of people say soccer is boring. Soccer is boring. There's not that many goals. I think in these like win or go home, do or quote die games, it's like because there's only like one or two real legitimate chances to score a goal, it makes it that much more compelling. Because you know, if the other team scores a goal, it's going to be like a monumental you know, hill to overcome. Whereas in a football game or a basketball game, a guy makes a three, you could just come back down and make a three on the other end. And oh, by the way, uh, Saturday morning, if you want to watch US take on the Netherlands, that's going to be the round of 16. But I'll even tie this into the NFL just for a moment if I could. Because one of the great uh, features of European football or soccer, as we call it here, is there's no commercials. And if you're the NFL, there are so many scheduled commercials. It's one of those choices they could make. You want to improve the game. You want to cut down on viewing time. They could literally take out half of their ads because they're scheduled TV timeouts and then turn around. And with the remaining 50% of their ads go, we're charging you double. And every single advertiser would say, yep, 
No one would bat an eye. You could literally make the game that much more intense, make the pace of play when they want to get to the, up to the line of scrimmage, when they want to you know, try to run a fast, up-tempo offense. Like You could give them that opportunity. But man, sometimes the NFL, sometimes, can be a little greedy. I mean, I mean, you're spot on with that. It's 45 minutes. Maybe that's what people need to get in invest in the sport. They need like ever after five minutes of play in soccer, just like a two minute bathroom break. So you can go away, come <laughs> back and get your fill. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but man, it is intense. Anyone that loves the sport, loves watching USA in the Olympics or anything else. 10 a.m. Netherlands, get to your local pub, have a cheeky pint, enjoy the game and scream for USA. You better believe it. Now, on the New York football Giants side of things, you and I were talking after uh, yesterday's ep episode, as we often do, by the way. Usually, Andy is sending me tweets and, and private DMs about what's going on. I'm sending him back typically more random stuff, if I'm being totally honest with you. And at one point, we got into, obviously, with Washington coming up, we started talking a little bit about the wide receiver room and some players that are going to be coming back. We're going to talk about Bellinger here in a second. But we got on to a Darius Slayton conversation because I, I all of a sudden had this thought. I wanted to go over and look at his stats because he didn't play a handful of games early, was buried, as, as we highlighted early in the season. It, it looked like maybe the team was doing everything they could to move on from him, had to ultimately take a pay cut just to stick around. And then you go over and you look at his PFF grade, and you think about him being in his fifth year. And we, we talk so much about Daniel Jones and, and Julian Love and Saquon Barkley. But the question came up to me, it's like, how important should it be for the New York football giants to consider to bring back Darius Slayton? I mean, it's a very difficult decision because obviously the pro football focus grade is very high. I think giant fans just forget that in the preseason, Darius Slayton was buried on the depth chart. Not even like, Oh, he'll be third string. Like maybe he'll get some reps, like to the point where when the initial round, like final round of cuts came out, People were wondering whether Darius Slayton was going to get cut. It was almost a foregone conclusion he was going to be gone. And then we find out he decides to take his pay cut, basically cuts his salary in half to stay with the Giants. Mm -hmm. You don't hear a peep from him. And he is our most important, healthy wide receiver right now. He has certainly bet on himself, and it has paid off in spades, Adam. Yeah, so you go over on PFF, and I mean, it's sort of the twofold of it. Okay, his PFF grade is a 74.8. You can not overvalue PFF, but if we're talking about just an even field where everyone is being graded, that's phenomenal for Darius Slayton over the course of his career. If you dial this one back to a year ago for him, he performed at just a 52.8 grade. Go back to 2020, a 67.8. So there's been this ebb and flow to his game, and obviously, go back to last season, one of the worst from a total team perspective in terms of the quality of talent and the possibility, the potential of being able to be a breakout player for this team. But then also in this season, so 27 catches on 43 targets, 476, two touchdowns. So the first thing I'll just say about the idea that you should probably want to bring him back, and you said it, like I, I, we were, we've always been a fan of his and coming into this year with a new regime, as I said about everybody, the, the standard, my standard practice has been new regime, Nobody is safe. And that goes to the highest level. And then with Darius Slayton, we're not exactly saying here, like high, highest, you know, highest level. However, I, I threw this out to you in our text messages where I said, well, go look at Smith Schuster, who signed a one year, $3.7 million deal coming off of like, he's a similar type of mold of player. There's a lot of examples of wide receivers like this. And I think if you're talking about Darius Slayton and you're thinking right now where he's the number one wide receiver for the Giants, that feels a little bit different, but the Darius Slayton that comes back on a two-year deal for maybe, you know, whatever, four to five million a year, maybe a little bit less even, 
and ends up being your two-ish slash three as Wandell Robinson is healthy. And as you maybe draft another wide receiver, we assume at least one, maybe even two. There's incredible value in that. And I'll even go a little bit further, but I want to get your take on it because I think there's a, a bigger talking point that matters even more, especially for fans of retaining certain other key members of this team. Yeah, so uh, when you think about all all that happened last, last offseason, Adam, you brought up Juju Smith-Schuster. I think he's a great comp because he's only 25 years old, was at Pitt, uh, and, and they let him go because they they drafted George Pickens. They had Deontay Johnson. They just let go of Chase Claypool. They had their youth core you know, in terms of the wide receiver room. But look at a guy like Traquan Smith. You know, He's 26 years old out of New Orleans. He got a two-year, $6 million deal, about $3 million apiece. If you start moving up the chain, depending on where you think uh, you know Slayton sits, I think his probably high watermark is around what Cedric Wilson got paid, former mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboy that moved over to Miami. He was 20, 25, 26 years old. He got a three-year deal for $22 million. So he got about $7 million a year. So I, th- I think, you know, when you think about where Slayton kind of sits, I'd say he probably doesn't have the upside of a Cedric Wilson or a, just say a Christian Kirk who got his crazy money. I'd say maybe between the 3 and $6 million per year is probably where you see Darius Slayton at. And how would that sit with you in terms of wanting to re-sign him at that number? Yeah, remember, like, and, and maybe the interesting thing is, like, we've seen how explosive the wide receiver market has been over the last couple of seasons. The high end of the market is getting up near $20 million a year, and that certainly would be is a, a number that I don't know even if maybe the best receivers in the game are always necessarily valuing. Although this year has been a really good example when you think about guys that haven't had their number ones, and we talk about Daniel Jones and his progression. Three to six million, man, I, I don't know how you can knock it. Like, I really don't. Like, he is a speed He's a speed receiver that can stretch the field. He's shown a little bit different facet of his game this season, being able to go over the middle, running a little bit more of an expansive route tree, certainly underneath Mike Kafka as well. So like his game has evolved. The two things that I'll bring up here is, well, I'll say three. One, we always talk about all of these guys that suffered underneath the previous regime. Julian Love is one of the biggest examples of that, right? You and I were were pretty close to burying him in the offseason. All of a sudden, he's one of the vocal leaders on the defense. Darius Slayton needs to be able to get that benefit of the doubt too. I think if we're, if we're talking realistically now, there's some one-to-one things like when the ball is there and he's wide open and he drops it, that's not necessarily about who's coaching him or, or what the regime is doing, but better, like better technique, right? Just better practice habits. Those type of things matter. And if we're seeing a little bit of a marginal move in that way over the course of this season, I think you have to value that from a coaching staff perspective, Brian Dable has preached all season long since he took this job. Show it in the film room, show it on the practice field, be rewarded on game day. A big question I think you can ask is, is Darius Slayton, has he been showing and earning it? Or has this been a product of, listen, among the Hodges and (laughs) and 63 other randoms that have been put on the field for the Giants, Darius Slayton is clearly the most talented guy they have available after Wondell Robinson being injured, right? So by default, you are going to be out there on the field. You can make that statement. But we know that Kenny Galladay, for whatever he is or is not at this point of his career, at least from a talent standpoint, should be out there every down, and he hasn't been. Last point that I'll make on him. He and Daniel Jones have a very strong relationship. It gets talked about all the time. Daniel Jones always speaks very highly of him. And whether whatever I feel about the Giants will or should do in the offseason, if you are a fan of Daniel Jones and you believe is the franchise guy and your intention is to bring him back this offseason – it should be a somewhat easy decision to say, let's be smart here. 
Let's keep one of the guys that's been here his entire career, even if it's for two years and then we move on or he gets pushed down our depth chart, fine. But let's keep around a guy that does seem to have some level of rapport here as he has to build up another one with second-year receiver Wandale and potentially rookies coming in. The issue, Adam, is not... I rest my case. I love that. And and if you're a giant fan, you're like, do we want to bring back our most productive wide receiver on a short, you know, term deal that doesn't hamstring us? Of right. course we do. I think there's another side to this coin. And I, we were talking about this offline is like, if you're Darius Slayton, do you even want to be here for it? Because That's more you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, because, because you mentioned he has a great relationship with Daniel Jones. That's fine. But let's go back to the preseason. Like we just talked about when the giants buried him on the depth chart, we're not giving him reps. New regime said, we want to try Wandell Robinson. We want to try Richie James. We want to try all these other. We have Colin Johnson ahead of you. We've got all these people on the depth chart in front of you. Oh, and by the way, if you want to stick around, we're going to take half of your money. If yeah. Does that sound good, Darius? And, and so for me, like, I, if I'm him, you know, he's a guy from, from Georgia, went to Auburn. Like, he could go to the Atlanta Falcons and help that room out, like, go closer to home and be like, I'm not going to stick with the regime that tried to bury me that I, like, came back from the depths on unless things have turned a page. So, for me, I think it's more fascinating. Like, of course, if you're on the Giants side, you want to keep him on a, on a team-friendly deal. On the Darius Slayton side, you've played yourself into a new contract, and you may have other suitors that didn't just jettison you to the bench two months ago. And as we, the, the, and this is the way that I'll, I'll conclude it. It's, this is what I think the Giants should want to do. <laughs> right. I don't know. You know, Darius Slayton might be like, thanks so much. Like, okay, I, I display it. But by the way, Lorenzo Carter, you mentioned you know, Atlanta, and you said this in the text. Uh, the Falcons, obviously, he went there. Same kind of guy, right? Showed up last season, flashed it. I was a really big fan of his. Wanted the Giants, if possible, to keep him. This year, it's been O'Shane Eximenez. We'll see what happens with him in the offseason, right? But these kind of guys that in their final year show a little something and then make a decision for themselves about what could potentially lead to opportunities. And that's as much about if you're Darius Slayton, hey, I could come back here and maybe I can be the two or the three and be a part of this. And if you like the, the prospects of winning football and still getting paid, hey, this might be the place for me. But maybe I go somewhere else where there's an opening for me potentially to be the set number two wide receiver with a chance for more upside, right? With a chance to develop with another young receiver. But it'll be interesting to see, man, because as you say, it's fifth year. So he's not, you know, he's not a 21, 22-year-old wide receiver. I assume what will be fascinating is how do other teams look at what Darius Slayton has done over his career and over the course of the season and say, we actually think with on a really good team, and I mentioned one, I'll just throw it out there, the L.A. Chargers, who have Keenan Allen getting a little bit older. They had your boy, Josh Palmer. He's there. But you plug in a guy like this with Justin Herbert. Like, if you're talking about, I want to be productive, a one-year deal out with L.A. to say, let me, let me have Herbert just bomb some to me for one season, get back to my rookie eight-touchdown form, and then see where the market is. So all that uh, just to say, keep an eye on what Darius Slayton does over these final six games for the New York football giants. He's, he's going to be critical to their success this year, and we'll see if it extends beyond. And a player that will be critical to the New York football giants this season and beyond is Daniel Bellinger, uh, and certainly, I guess, maybe number one in your heart, Andy. I mean, Adam, in the preseason, there were other tight ends that I preferred over Daniel Bellinger, Kate Odden. No, don't let, Dan, don't let Danny hear you say that. No, but listen, it, it, it's 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 being vulnerable, and I think that's important, Adam. It is I'm opening myself up to say, before Daniel Bellinger came into my life, there were others that I admired more. And while I admired them, the second that Daniel Bellinger got into Giants camp, it's like a, a, a light switch flip for me, and I was like, this is going to be the guy. He is awesome. 
And guess what, Adam? For the first seven games of the season, he was great. You know, he's he's got like a 75 pro football focus grade. He seemed to be catching the timely pass from Daniel Jones. He was that security blanket. Now, he had that orbital fracture, really gruesome, like one in a million freak injury against the Jaguars. We didn't know if he was going to be back for the rest of the season. We're four games later. We're five weeks later, almost six at this point. And it all indications from the beat writers and the media and everyone else, even Dayball saying, we're optimistic about his chances to come back against the commanders. Now I've got a bunch of stats that will support why I feel so passionately about Bellinger coming back, being such a huge addition, but just your thoughts on, on him in general coming back from that injury. Yeah. didn't play in uh, the season opener against the Tennessee Titans. And we kind of wondered about that a little bit. Cause you looked at the, t- at the tight end room and said, there's literally no one stopping him from, from being in there. Right. Like, and that was part of what got us excited was like, Hey, we need one. He's a rookie. Get him in there. And that always went back to the original script of like, let's get these young guys developing as quickly as possible. Just like Wandale Robinson in week one, where he got injured on his first catch. But over the course of that, what's interesting to me is it's like when you look at his numbers, because then he goes and he plays in six games. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars game is where he gets injured. But 16 catches, you're like 16 catches for 152 yards, like two touchdowns. Like, OK, is that really that impressive? 18 targets like for me that's the thing that jumps out it's 16 catches on 18 targets when we talk about tight ends we talk about historically with the new york football giants it's about the reliability at the position and being injured in the game against the jaguars ironically against the team that has the former giant tight end in evan ingram is such a great contrast of remember all of the promise and possibility of evan ingram by the way Speaking of wandering eye, there was a time when Andy was pushing hard for the Giants to bring back Evan Ingram this season. Now, that's neither here nor there because he's in love, full bloom, with Daniel Bellinger. And it's just it's the reliability factor that I think gets fans really excited or should get fans really excited. On top of which, the beyond the receiving, it's that you saw incrementally that game three, game four, game five of his rookie season – he was also starting to become a factor in the pass-blocking, run-blocking game, and that's that's all around tight end play, and that's what the Giants need. Yeah, Daniel Bellinger, if, if people aren't familiar, he is an awesome run blocker, and that was kind of originally what the Giants brought him in. It was like, why are we drafting this run-blocking tight end so high? He didn't catch that many passes in college, and they basically said, we want a blocking tight end, but we think he has short hands. He didn't have very many drops in college. They just never gave him the opportunity. And Adam, when you think about uh, run-blocking grades – like run run blocking grades are not based on like what position you play, whether it's like center or left tackle or tight end. It's like, how well do you block? Right. Right. And, and Daniel Bellinger has a 60.6 run blocking grade from the tight end position, which is tremendous. It's, I think it's close to top 10 in the league for, for tight ends. Clearly he changes the dynamic of this giant offense. And I'll give you some stats that support that fact that he is so good at that with weeks one to seven, when Daniel Bellinger was in the lineup, when he was available on the team, uh, ready to play, Saquon Barkley averaged 103.7 yards per game. In the games that Daniel Bellinger has not played, Saquon Barkley has averaged 66.5 yards per game. He's averaged about 35 to 40% less yardage. And Adam, in those games, they played the terrible Lions, the terrible Texans. They played the terrible Seattle defense, and they played the Dallas defense. So, in those four games, they didn't play the juggernauts of the world, and the Giants went one and three in those games. So am I saying that Daniel Bellinger is the best player on the Giant offense? No, I am not. Some may say that based on the, on the facts, Adam. Oh, I won't go that far, 
But what I will say is you can see stat after stat when Daniel Bellinger is not on the field. For whatever reason, this team cannot perform at its highest level. Well, uh, I'll just flesh out the fact that Daniel Bellinger only caught 68 passes for 771 yards over his four-year college career at San Diego State with just five touchdowns. Just to drill home the point that this is not a receiving tight end necessarily, but the scouts believe there is this area of his game that we can develop. Um, I, I believe in Daniel Bellinger as a run blocker. Uh, I will. We, we all just need to acknowledge, though, that the correlation between the games that Daniel Bellinger has missed and the other members of the offensive line that have been injured has been fairly one-to-one combined with Saquon Barkley and his shoulder injury and what that looked like. It doesn't take away anything that I feel about Daniel Bellinger and his value, and Andy is going to correlation or cause, point out. Correlation or causation, I can't tell you. Can, One might say that it's directly yeah. related to Daniel Bellinger not being there, and that's that's the that's the life that I want to live. That's the side that I want to be on, Adam. I you like can... Him. You can you can you can be uh, on the negative side and say Daniel Bellinger doesn't contribute at all, and that's fine. But when you see him out there against the Commanders, and he has a couple of really good blocks, and then he slips one of those blocks and rolls outside for a touchdown, being the security blanket for Daniel Jones. Remember, two out of Daniel Jones's three worst QBR ratings have been without Daniel Bellinger in the lineup. There, I, I know that you think that, it's that, a there's, cumulative the, effect, uh, there's but, value there. They're like Again, and I know, and, and Andy's having a little bit of fun, but also Daniel Bellinger's been a really good player. He's a young player, and we want him to be good, and he has already proven that he is good. He's tied his college career total over four years with two touchdowns in the Giants in these first six games. I remember, not even that uh, like first game against the Titans. And But that matters too, though. Again, for Daniel Jones, we talk about that part of it and the wide receiver group overall. As much as anything that we're highlighting here, and it all matters, it's all relevant, and you, you understand why a player like this can be critical going forward for the Giants, it is the safety blanket. It's the safety valve ability that you can have with a guy like Daniel Bellinger that maybe you know Tanner Hudson just doesn't quite offer on the same consistent level. And Myrick is not going to be that guy. So what you end up doing is reducing the playbook, looking to form other versions of it this past week. Well, now it's going to be back to Richie James and running those short routes over the middle. That's all good and well, but if you have the type of consistency that Bellinger seemingly is bringing to that position, now all of a sudden it creates more flexibility and more consistency, more reliability for the offense. And that's all that matters here. Yeah, I mean, the, the simple answer is this. Daniel Bellinger poses a threat in the pass game, and he is a really good run-blocking tight end. While Lawrence Cager filled in, had a 49 yards, had that one nice nine-yard touchdown grab, Tanner Hudson has tried to fill in. Myrick is more of a fullback run-blocker. Daniel Bellinger elevates this tight end room and gives that dynamic where the defense has to plan and prepare for him to make those slips and gets outside so they can't be as one-dimensional on defense. We are going to take a look over at the Washington Commanders and one Taylor Heineke here in a second, but you mentioned Lawrence Cager. I'm going to tell you right now, that tandem is something that you should be really excited about. I expect Lawrence Cager to be a part of this team going forward beyond this season, and it's the right combination of when you see him line up, when you see him catch a pass, you go, wide receiver? No, he's our tight end. Okay, fine. When you have that type of dynamic ability of, hey, we know we have a stud blocker in our tight end position who also can catch passes, and then one who can work that seam, get vertical, open things up underneath for the other wide receivers, it really is going to be a good dynamic, great dynamic, I could imagine. But we just need a healthy team and a full complement of roster and all that other good stuff. But it's something to dream on here. I think the Giants did a great job going and stealing him off of the Jets practice squad because they were so deep at that position, the Giants end up benefiting from that. Now, least but not last, or last, or least, Taylor Heineke. He's like 
the stain on your carpet you just can't wash away. And then all of a sudden you look down and you know you go, honestly, I think the stain actually makes the rug look better. I didn't realize that that wine right in the middle of my white carpet is kind of beautiful. It's a bit of a Jackson Pollock splash across an otherwise blank canvas. Washington tried as hard as they could over the last several years to have anyone else be their starting quarterback. And yet Taylor Heineke is there. And he's a fascinating case study, man. And this is this is you and you're you looking over the stats and stuff that just says sometimes it's more than just is this guy a high completion percentage, prototypical standard make and model of a franchise quarterback. There's more that goes into it than just the numbers. So you, you see a guy like Carson Wentz who they traded for because they saw a little bit of Taylor Heineke and they're like, well, he doesn't really get the big pass completions. His completion percentage isn't that high. His QBR isn't that great. Is his touchdown interception ratio good or bad? And they go get Carson Wentz and they go what they get and they get quote unquote the prototypical quarterback. And they see that Carson Wentz is an abject failure and a massive disappointment and disaster. And they go back to Taylor Heineke and they say, Taylor, we're sorry. We apologize. Can you go win us games? And here's the crazy thing, Adam. Taylor Heineke is five and one since he started. But the craziest part about this is he is a 46.9 QBR, right? So they say 50 is, is about average. It's, it's the level of play that you want. He's below that. His touchdown to interception ratio is seven to five. It's not even one and a half to one. It's one and a quarter to one, right? Like he's throwing almost as many interceptions as touchdowns. His completion percentage is 60%, just on the dot, 60%. It's almost like it's definitely below league average. It's not great. Yet he just wins games. And there is this like side tangent where sometimes we get really caught up in the analytics and we forget like, will this guy go the extra mile to be able to get a first down or win the game? Do his teammates like him, appreciate him, want to play hard for him? Is he a competitor? Is he a leader? And does he do all the right things that the coaching staff asked him to do? Those are the things that you say unequivocally yes to. And it's mind boggling because Taylor Heineke will be a gunslinger and throw a bunch of picks or he'll throw some bad incompletions. But when the chips are down, he's a guy that like all the other players respect on the team. And it's just a, it's a crazy situation for the commanders where what, do, what do they do? Like we have our own questions about Daniel Jones. What do they do with Taylor Heineke when he's winning games and the rest of the team loves him? Yeah. Oh, and that's the last point you made there. Like the wide receivers, right? High profile guys on the team all are talking about how much when, when, Taylor Heineke is out there. You just feel like you're going to have a chance to win a football game. To your point, Carson Wentz, so you just go back and look at these numbers, 62 completion percentage, 61 for almost nearly for Taylor Heineke. He, when Carson Wentz was playing, he was throwing for 50 more yards per game and 10 touchdowns to six interceptions. You mentioned the seven to five for Heineke. From a rating standpoint, 84 for Carson, 83 for Heineke. You say, man, it's like it's, all, it's basically the same. Like they're borderline the same guy. Do you know what Carson Wentz's QBR was, Andy, before he was unceremonious? Well, he got injured and has not returned to the starting lineup. Uh, if I had to guess, I guess like a 31. 32.9. <laughs> Third worst in the entire league ahead of only Davis Mills and Baker Mayfield. So, like, <sighs> that is the difference. And you mentioned that 49, just, you know, just around there trying to crack that middle-of-the-road kind of number for Taylor Heineke. And listen, this isn't going to blow your skirt up, but that puts them right in the, in, the, in the field of guys this season, like Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, Andy Dalton, and narrowly behind players like Tom Brady and Ryan Tannenhill. And those last two names on the list are really important. Why? 
because you know that you can win with those quarterbacks. And Matthew Stafford, you know you can win with it's just that the Rams have been such a disaster this year. But when you look at that, it's like, yeah, guess what? Intangibles kind of mean nothing if you are Carson Wentz with a nearly you know bottom of the league QBR. But if you're a Taylor Heineke, and when you go out there and play, and he understands in his head, my role is to sacrifice everything. My body, like my body, like, you know, I have to, I have to g- give myself up on every single play. I know that, yes, I'm going to make some of those mistakes when it happens, but that has to be the style of my play because otherwise I'm not going to get the home run hits. There's a bit of this like heart and soul kind of vibe about Taylor Heineke. I don't know what's going to happen with him beyond this season. I, I'm not sure if he's, if he's under contract beyond this year with the Washington Commanders. And, he, and, and honestly, if it's not there, he probably doesn't go out and automatically be a starter somewhere else. He goes out and he's a backup somewhere else. And then maybe that starter gets hurt. Maybe that starter underperforms. And then Taylor Heineke comes in and everyone goes, man, this guy really performs. And all of this to say is the Giants are preparing for him. There's, there's not going to be a give up. There's not going to be a lackadaisical kind of attitude that maybe Carson Wentz under sender for the commanders had, or there's not going to be a finger pointing mentality from Taylor Heineke. What he's done for the Washington commanders is galvanize their offense and put them in a spot where they can be a playoff team. Well, and the other piece of it is Washington has a good defense, Adam. They're going to be getting chase young back. Their defense is very, very solid. They're, top 10 in the league in, a, in points per game allowed at 19.7. They give up under 20 points a game. So when you think about what they need on the offensive side of the ball, they're like, just get us enough points to win the game. Just do whatever it is that you need to do. We don't need it to be pretty. We don't need it to be flashy. Just get it done. And that that speaks perfectly to what Taylor Heineke is. He's like, I'm the man for the job. I'll get my hands dirty. I'll do whatever's needed. And obviously – with the rushing attack from Brian Robinson on, on the offensive side, it's made things a little bit easier for Heineke to get the ball out to guys like McLaurin, to guys like Curtis Samuel. So they're starting to be more competent. They just look more like a cohesive team with Taylor Heineke. And it's crazy because the stats don't back it up when you look at all of just the regular accumulation stats, yet there's just something about the guy where it's kind of like awesomely bad or badly awesome. I, I don't really know how to categorize Heineke, but – at the, you know, you have to win football games. And ultimately, man, like you said it too, like, and this is the extension of it, the complimentary football. Remember, like, you know, Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson, a junior who came back from that, that gunshot wound, and, and certainly it's just a great story. They're both averaging under four yards per carry. Like, this offense is kind of, you know, clunkily moving itself along, and Heineke's been able to execute a couple of big plays and get it into a couple of these key playmakers. And just from the high level, we're going to talk about uh, tomorrow and going into Friday, more key matchups about this, but Heineke was the focus here. Just remember that the Washington Commanders, because we've talked about what it means for the New York football giants in this upcoming game, they play at New York, our home stadium. Then they're going to, uh, sorry, reverse that. They host, and then, what am I doing this there? No, the Giants are at home. I'm looking at Washington's schedule and it's really confusing me because I'm a Giant and they're a commander. They're going to be visiting us and then they'll be hosting us after their bye week. Following that, they go to San Francisco and then home for Cleveland and home for Dallas. Like we talk about the critical nature of these games coming up for the Giants. These next two, their next two matchups with that bye week in the middle, both against us. That's their season right now. Like we said, oh, these are the most important games for the Giants. They don't have a bye weekend. They have another game to play. Vikings are mixed in. Colts are mixed in. If you're the Washington Commanders, you're looking at these two games and saying, we win these two games, 
we probably lock up our wild card spot wherever it's going to be slotted in. And then we don't have to worry about what could be very difficult matchups against San Francisco. Deshaun Watson coming back for Cleveland and then a Dallas team that depending on what happens with Minnesota could actually be playing, you know, could be finding its way towards seeding. I guess they'll still win their division no matter what. So maybe it won't matter for Dallas. And that actually makes it even more critical for us because Dallas may be resting by the time it gets that last game of the season. I just had a whirlwind thought process there. Excuse me. Adam. At the end of the day, my friend, oh, yeah. you point yeah. out something very important about the Commanders. They have their next two games are against the Giants. After this game at MetLife, they have a bye and they get a, the ability to get healthy and prepare for the Giants team that they just saw. So it, it is even more critical that the Giants, you know, save face, hold serve at home. Because the commanders get two weeks to prepare for the team that they just saw, which will put the Giants at a disadvantage going on the road. This is a must-win type of game for the Giants at home if you expect this team to make the playoffs and get a wild-card spot. Nothing could be more insulting to Taylor Heineke than when you click on this matchup. First of all, from a prediction standpoint, 50.5% in favor of Washington, 48.8% in favor of New York, and a 0.6% chance that we tie. But season leaders, Daniel Jones for the Giants in the passing department, Carson Wentz for the Washington Commanders. He has not yet overtaken Carson Wentz as the leader of that team. Darius Slayton leading the wide receiving core for the New York football Giants. They call that synergy, my friends. You get us over on YouTube, of course, where we're doing this thing five days a week. You get that podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. Again, tomorrow and Friday, Thursday and Friday, big focus on these matchups, updating key injuries, confirming that the Giants are going to be healthier for this one than they have been in quite some time. And until next time, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.